Hey, didn't we have such a great Easter celebration last Sunday? I mean, it was just so exciting. We had five packed services, starting with a beautiful sunrise service, probably the best weather we've had since I've been here for a sunrise service. And all the time, the predictions were storm after storm after storm, and it didn't materialize that way. And the fellowship and the breakfast we had was just uh, fantastic. The sanctuary, the ministry center were just full for all the different services. And the music, you know, I've still got the music kind of going around in my head. The preaching, well, you know, it was okay. But, you know, the place was electric last Sunday. And I think the main reason why it was so rich and full and exciting is that we clearly and plainly and enthusiastically proclaimed the risen Christ. We said together, we believe in the resurrection. And on this Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, can we say just as decisively and with the same kind of joy and enthusiasm and certainty, can we also say we believe in the insurrection of Christ, the resurrection insurrection. And I'm borrowing that phrase from an Irish theologian named Peter Rollins as the title for the new message series we're going to have as we look at snippets from the, the book of Acts. You see, insurrection is what follows resurrection. Jesus raised to do life and then 40 days later ascended into heaven and then the 50th day from the resurrection, the day of Pentecost, he poured out his spirit on his people and he birthed the church in power just as as he had promised. And those early believers, they literally exploded into the ancient world with this dynamic message of the love and the power of Christ, inviting people to experience real transformation through their encounter with the risen Christ. They invited people to participate in the very death and the resurrection of Jesus, that you can die to self and be raised into newness of life right here and right now through his indwelling spirit, that you can do life differently where you live and where you work and where you play. Listen to how Peter, the the one who had so tragically denied Christ on the night of his arrest, listen to how this newly re-energized Peter describes this transformation in his very first sermon, Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 22. Speaking to his own Jewish people in Jerusalem, he said this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, and then he quotes from the Psalms, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. 
exalted to the right hand of God. He was received from the Father. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Amen. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to Him. You see, Peter's proclamation about Jesus comes in kind of three stages. First, there was the the quality of Jesus' life and teaching in verse 22. And then second, the manner of his death in verse 23. And then thirdly, the glorious reality of his resurrection in verse 24. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love the way he says that. All three of these combine to describe the central idea of what I want to build on this morning, this resurrection insurrection. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, insurrection, it's just a fancy way of saying a revolt, an, an uprising against the powers that be. An insurrection is open resistance to established authority, an attempt to overthrow the established order to replace it with something else. The root word for insurrection comes from the Latin word that simply means to rise up. People rising up, rising up against oppression, rising up against a dictator, rising up against a perceived injustice. Sometimes it's violent, or sometimes an insurrection can happen through peaceful protests. We've seen all forms of insurrection at work the past few months in countries like like, uh, Egypt and Libya and Syria and other Muslim nations. Governments overthrown and, and dictators deposed, and the violent pushback against the insurrectionists by the established governments who aren't ready to give up power. Do you realize that Christ came to bring a resurrection insurrection. Think through the three stages of Jesus' ministry that Peter mentioned. His life and teaching, his death, and his resurrection. All three are parts of this insurrection. Think of his life. You read through the Gospels, and you can't help but see that Jesus' whole ministry was a rebellion against what people thought about God. Jesus told them, hey, you don't have it right. You'd missed who God really is what true faith is all about. Jesus' teaching went directly against the dominant views of God. He couldn't go along with their vain prayers and their their meaningless rituals. There was no reality, no, no life, no depth to their faith. They'd missed the boat about God and His grace and about faith and forgiveness. And Jesus was intentional about reversing this. He said He came to preach the kingdom of God. He came to bring the kingdom of God And God's kingdom was different from what they were doing. Jesus meant to do nothing less than to overthrow the kingdoms of this world. The systems of evil in this world. The sin in each person's heart. And Jesus wanted to stir things up. He wasn't shy about sort of getting up in the faces of those who held the reins of religious and political power. In the Gospels, you see Jesus have one conflict after another. Because you can't have an insurrection without conflict. You can't have an insurrection if all sides agree. Think of the times the religious leaders wanted to execute Jesus right on the spot, stone him to death for his inflammatory preaching. Think of Jesus' actions in turning over the tables in the temple and the insults he heaped on the religious leaders of the day. Called them snakes and false teachers and whitewashed tombs and, and much worse. The established religion wasn't what God wanted. It was just a set of rules, and so Jesus broke their rules about the Sabbath, about washing their hands, about who you could have dinner with. Their religion was just a set of ethics, and so Jesus showed them how shallow their ethics really were. 
their religion was stiff formalism, which Jesus demolished by his spontaneous love for his Abba Father. And they hated him for it. Jesus' life and teaching was an insurrection. And Christ's death, this unexpected path to glory. No one saw it coming, though Jesus tried to prepare his followers for it. His, his death was an insurrection, a death that upended all the carefully crafted schemes of his enemies, a death that brought about the opposite of what his oppressors had intended, a death that was supposed to be his defeat turned into his greatest victory, a death that brought forgiveness from sin and freedom from fear. And rather than silence Jesus, his death became the focal point, the, action, the, the, the proclamation point of his gospel message, the point of God's greatest love on earth. His death broke the power of sin. It broke the power of this world's evil kingdom. And that ins- that's the insurrection of the cross. And Christ's resurrection then continued to break the power of death itself, completely, utterly, totally conquered the grave, conquered the curse of sin and the power of evil. And Jesus opened eternity for all who would believe. His death, his teachings, his resurrection, they were all part of this godly insurrection. And Jesus, in all his resurrection glory, then tells his followers to go out into the world and do the same thing with the exact same message under his divine authority. You shall be my witnesses, he says in Acts chapter 1. You shall go and make disciples all over the world, he says in Matthew 28. You are to continue my resurrection insurrection. Take up your cross. Follow me out into the world. You're going to challenge the kingdoms of this world in my name and in my power. You're to be my insurrection agents of influence in the world. But I want you to do my insurrection differently than how the world would do it. I want you to practice mercy and grace. They'll never see it coming. I want you to forgive your enemies. That'll completely confuse them. As my church, you're launching a global insurrection. And so I want you to serve the poor and to get free from the traps of this materialistic world. I want you to love people who don't deserve to be loved. I want you to live differently than other people. I want you to use your money and your talents and your education and your careers and your homes and your relationships. I want you to use all that to bring glory to the Father. I want you to love people as I love you, every ethnic group and every nation. And when you do that, people will want to know why. People will want what you have. People will encounter me through you. And the insurrection will spread. That's the resurrection. Insurrection. Following Christ out into the real world, living life the way Jesus wants us to, being his hands and feet and eyes and ears and mouth in this kingdom of darkness, we are to be bearers of his light. We don't just get together to celebrate what Jesus did. We're supposed to light up the world by getting in step with what Jesus is still doing right here and right now. Sure, we huddle on Sundays and we sing the school song and we go over the playbook, but then we've got to get out into the game. The church comes together to worship and to learn, to encourage each other, but then we've got to go out and do what Jesus wants us to do, to change lives and to bring hope and to change the world that we live in. I like the way South American evangelist Luis Palau puts it. He said, the church is like manure. Pile it up, and it stinks up the neighborhood. Spread it out, and it enriches the world. The resurrection insurrection. 
is what we see in the book of Acts. It chronicles their insurrection. This young infant church stepping out boldly to proclaim Christ, to boldly live for Christ in cultures that were completely opposed to what they were doing. Both Jewish Palestine and the Roman Empire that dominated the Western world stood diametrically opposed to what this little band of believers were trying to do. And they turned the ancient world upside down. That's what history shows us. But what's happening today? Where's the resurrection, insurrection in our day? Well, the truth is, every generation has to rediscover the resurrection, insurrection. They have to rediscover it for themselves. It can't be passed down automatically. It has to be continually rediscovered. It has to be embraced and embodied by each new generation of Christ followers. And the struggles we face to do that in our time are significant ones. We live in the age of distraction. Distraction. Where people are inundated with information and choices and technology and crises and and things to do. Distraction. To the point where people lose any clarity about what they believe or even about who they really are. And this is especially true among those who would actually classify themselves as Christian. American churches have have emptied out because they've become so anemic and confused and ineffective. American Christians have, have really bought into the distractions of this world, which often sever our basic connection to the reality of Christ in our lives. Our basic connection to God gets all choked out by all this other stuff. And our basic identity as children of his kingdom begins to wither. When that happens, we begin to then borrow our identity from someplace else. We get it from our families, our work, our money, our success, our music, our sexuality, our entertainment and sports heroes, our politics, our nation. Even from the church, you can borrow an identity. But all those things are poor substitutes for our real identity as followers of Jesus who challenges us to make a real difference in the real world, to be part of of the resurrection insurrection, your primary identity has to be what you've been given because of Jesus' resurrection. Your primary identity is you nurtured and, and matured by the power of Christ at work in you. Without that basic identity, we lose our spiritual vitality. Faith becomes dull. People go through the motions honoring God, but their hearts, you know, they're just not in it anymore. That's sort of like a battery going dead. It's so casual that at first you just don't notice it. But before we know it, we become less. We lose the intimacy, the spontaneity, the exuberance of resurrection life. We begin to see Christ only in two dimensions while trying to live in a 3D world. Back in 2006, there's a true story about a guy named Dave Davila who lived outside of Chicago. He was the only one of his very close big family to move away from home, and his mother had a really hard time coping with her one son moving far from home. So she had one of his digital photos blown up into a full life-size image, and she would bring it out whenever she missed him too much. So at family gatherings, she would bring out Flat Dave and stand him next to the family for family photographs, you know, and pretty soon she started bringing Flat Dave with her in the car, and he'd sit next to her in the car. Then she took him to the hair salon and started taking him to the mall. Pretty soon the local news picked up on this. 
And Flat Dave became an instant celebrity over, overnight in their little corner of Chicago. People would stop her in the stores and want to have their pictures taken with Flat Dave. And people on the street would bring out their cell phones and all want to take pictures of Flat Dave. He was quite a celebrity. He even, some people even thought Flat Dave was more interesting than real Dave. But the only problem is he wasn't real. I think that happens with a lot of people and Jesus. Let me introduce you to somebody this morning. Oops. This is Flat Jesus. He's a lot taller than I thought he'd be, don't you think? You know, I think a lot of people relate to Christ this way, sort of like Dave's mom related to Flat Dave. He's interesting. He's kind of a caricature. You know, you bring him out when you need him, but you put him back in the closet when you don't need him. But the problem is he's not real. And when people have faith in this kind of, their image of Jesus is this, it doesn't make it in the real world. And so no wonder people then kind of give up on their faith if their depth of their knowledge of who Christ is is just this two-dimensional image. Then no wonder eventually their faith doesn't make it in the real world. So many people, even people who call themselves Christians, They only really relate to Jesus as some kind of a historical figure. Maybe they are interested by his teachings or something like that. But he's a caricature, not even close to the real thing. What was it that transformed the followers of Jesus from those scared, frightened fugitives into these dynamic and bold disciples? It wasn't Jesus' teaching. It wasn't his system of ethics. It wasn't because Jesus was a charismatic leader. What transformed the disciples was their personal encounter with the risen Jesus, that he was still 3D, flesh and blood. It was that personal relationship that launched the insurrection. Peter says, back in the passage that I read, that they were eyewitnesses of these things. Firsthand, they had personally encountered them, and that's what made the difference. They met the real Jesus. Peter says, eyewitnesses. And folks, it has to happen to you before it can happen through you, right? The greatest hindrance to the resurrection insurrection are people in the churches who really don't know the risen Jesus. They have information about a historical figure, but they haven't had that personal encounter with the living Christ. And so too many people in the church have settled for sort of this flat, two-dimensional Jesus. But because we live in a 3D world, we need a relationship with the living Lord that is vibrant and real, and powerful, and sustaining. Anything else just won't make it. i got to put this away. It kind of creeps me out a little bit. If you haven't had that kind of experience with the 3D Jesus, if you're not sure you have a personal relationship with a living Savior that inspires your life and really changed your identity, then I want to encourage you to do One thing, I want you to pray a very dangerous prayer. To pray simply, Jesus, if you're real, show me. Jesus, if you're real, and I'm not sure you really are, but if you are real, show me. Because that's the kind of prayer Jesus always answers. I don't know exactly how he'll answer it for you, but I know he will answer it. And you will be invited to join in his resurrection insurrection to be one of his agents, his messengers of resurrection, insurrection. Let me give you one more example of what this might look like. 
Last Sunday, while we were celebrating Christ on Easter here at the church in New Providence, on the other side of the world in Beijing, China, members of the Xiao Wang Christian Church were getting ready to gather for their Easter service. Xiao Wang means lighthouse. But in China, churches are required to be registered by the communist government, and pastors are licensed and supervised by the government. There are no independent churches are allowed as a means of the government keeping control in the very kind of, kind of strict uh, Chinese society. Now, many Christians go along with that practice and are okay with having their worship and their preaching censored by the government, sort of like what churches in Germany did under Hitler during World War II. You know, it was better to go along than to be shut down. Well, Xiao Wang is one of China's most famous house churches, the name given to congregations that aren't officially sanctioned by the government. The house churches are growing rapidly in China. I mean, they're spreading like wildfire. There are about 50 to 70 million Christians who are part of house churches in China. And most of the time, Chinese authorities have just kind of looked the other way. But recently, they decided to crack down because insurrections of all different kinds are kind of nibbling at the edges of Chinese communist society. And so it was time to crack down on the Christians. They're worried about dissidents. And so they warn members of the Xiaowang church not to gather. Well, the church doesn't have a church building. The government had already evicted them from the rented space that they had been using, had been harassing the church and the pastors and other people. And so they decided to have an outdoor service in a local park. Well, they were met by lines of police who harassed them and taunted them at first and then herded the worshipers into waiting buses and vans and they were all arrested and put in jail. Over 500 people were arrested last Sunday in Beijing simply for trying to gather to worship the Lord Jesus. Their pastor, Reverend Jin Tianming, is now under arrest with the police standing outside his door 24-7. And after reading their story, I wondered about us. I wondered about us. I imagined for a moment that the growing secularism of our nation, the, the growing hostility towards Christianity, somehow went into fast forward. And by next Sunday, it became a crime for us to gather to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I wondered. I wondered what would happen if people knew that if they showed up for church next Sunday here in New Providence, they'd be arrested like the Christians in Shawang Church. I wondered if that would solve our parking problem. I wondered if people would have the courage of their convictions. I wondered if people would actually risk something for their faith. I wondered how many of us would actually risk the threat of being arrested, of being treated as a criminal, of being inconvenienced for the sake of Christ. I wondered what I would do. I wondered how deep our convictions really run and how quickly might people bail out on their faith if something disturbed their personal peace or threatened their personal prosperity. I wondered. I wonder if if people would give first allegiance to Christ more than to their local government. I don't know. What would you do? What does your faith in Christ actually mean to you? Are you part of the resurrection insurrection? Are you really? Let's pray. Lord, we were so privileged last Sunday. Had such a wonderful celebration of your resurrection. And yet, Lord, to be reminded that there are people just like us 
who love and worship you just like us, and yet, Lord, they have to do it in secret for fear of being arrested, for fear of being beat up, for fear of being killed all over the world. Christians who understand what it really means to be part of a resurrection insurrection. And here we get dulled into complacency, Lord. We get distracted by our wealth and our ease and our comforts. Or maybe we get distracted by our perceived problems. Some of us think we have it so hard. And yet, Lord, when we look at the world, we we have to wonder how deep do our convictions really go, go? How vital is our relationship with you? Do we treat you like a flat Jesus? Or do we walk with you into this 3D world? Challenge us, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.